My favorite vacation spot, at least to this point in my life, is the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Has anyone ever been to the Outer Banks of North Carolina? Eight of you. That's it? Really? Okay. Somebody's there when I go there. I don't know. Okay. So the Outer Banks of North Carolina, it's a barrier island, which means it could disappear at any time, but they still built giant mansions on it and are hoping it doesn't, I guess, because it's packed down there. But to get on the Outer Banks of North Carolina, if you come from the north, which you all would be coming from the north, you get on a three-mile bridge called the Wright Memorial Bridge. It's three miles long. Now, I have a question. When I get on that bridge or when you get on that bridge, do you trust that bridge because you did all the research and all the work and all the you really vetted that bridge before you got on it to make sure that your car was not going to fall into the Currituck Sound, I think that's what it's called, and you were going to be a goner. Or do you get on that bridge, do I get on that bridge, knowing people who are much more qualified than you, who went to school much longer than you, who are good at building bridges, built that bridge? B, right? Okay. Um, probably. I, th I think that's where most of us would land. So, this is the parallel I would like to draw this morning. We can trust the Bible for the same reason, because people who have gone before us have vetted this book, have done countless hours of research in this book, and have proven it to be true, much like that bridge. But with all that being said, here's where I think it's different. If you've ever heard my story, you know that before I became a pastor, I worked in the business world, I worked in sales. So let's pretend, and I think there's a joke about selling bridges, but let's pretend that I'm gonna go back into the sales world and I'm gonna be a bridge salesman, okay? Um, if I were gonna do that, that kinda changes the game a little bit, doesn't it? I might wanna know how it was built, who built it, that it's safe and trustworthy, if I was gonna actually convince someone to purchase a bridge. So, I wanna draw another parallel that is very similar to our faith. If we're gonna share our faith, and our faith is gonna be based on the events that are in this book, then we probably need to do a little research, and it's probably not enough to just say people who have gone before have done all the work and research. We should probably know what it says. So a few years ago, I had a good friend tell me a quote that has stuck with me, uh, and I've used it repeatedly. He said, God doesn't have grandkids, he just has kids, okay? So we're gonna dig into some of that this morning, but what I wanna talk to you about today is making your faith your faith. And we're gonna talk about the book that guides your faith, okay? So I am not someone who believes that we should walk around, and Pastor Nicole hit on this last week, and say, the Bible's true because the Bible says it's true. What else do you need? right? We would not stand for that from any other religion. I would call that argument weak sauce, all right? If you don't know what weak sauce is, I'm from New York for five more days. We're actually moving to Erie on Friday, so I'm very excited about that. Yes, and all the people said amen, especially me. Uh, if you don't know, I've been living 40 minutes away in Bemis Point, New York for the last 16 months. So I'm excited. I haven't been counting, though, I promise. So anyways, weak sauce. This is, but I'm from New York. We're the home of buffalo wings or chicken wings. If you bring me, I'm a chicken wing guy. If you bring me chicken wings with weak sauce, I'm going to throw them in the garbage. All right? So that's where an argument that is weak sauce goes is in the garbage with those chicken wings. All right? So I think that we should dig in. We should find out why the apostles who went before us were willing to die for something simply known as the way, 
Okay, if you read the message translation, the, the good news was repeatedly called the way. This book that I hold in my hands today that's in the pew in front of you or that you brought in, this book as it is today didn't even exist till 400 A.D. Okay, it was not completely bound, and we'll get into that in a second, as this book till 400 A.D. So, what makes the Bible trustworthy and what makes it different than all the other books that have ever been written and comprised on this planet? And especially with all these different translations and all these different, you know, you've got the message and you've got the NIV and you've got the KJV. And uh, a few years ago, uh, I saw a slide that is stuck in my brain, and I've referenced it in many conversations, and they'll put it up on the screen for you. This is from National Community Church. Uh, I can't preach without bringing up National Community Church or Mark Batterson, and that's not intentional. He just explains things in a way that I actually understand. And so this slide that you see up here, and it's a little small, so we'll, we'll throw it up on our Facebook later, but this shows these various translations that can sometimes trip people up. There is word-for-word, word, actually, I need to point the right direction. There is word-for-word word translations, and there is thought-for-thought translations. And so if you look at this, all the way over on word for word, you see things like interlinear, New American Standard, the Amplified, the ESV, and what the RSV is, Revised Standard Version, KJV. Okay, so, so word for word translations, the, those that were translating it, their goal was to say, see how close can we get word for word from the Greek and Hebrew text into English. If you go all the way to the other end of the spectrum to thought for thought, Eugene Peterson, when he was doing the message translation, his goal was how can I convey this in common language and how can I convey this in a way that the, the concepts, the conceptual ideas that were being shared shine through. And here's what I would say. Neither are wrong. But the message, if you're reading it as a word-for-word -word translation, you will be disappointed. It is a thought-for-thought -thought or a concept translation. And I'm not here to defend the message. I would say the same on the other side of the spectrum. If you're reading the KJV or the ESV as a thought for thought, you're going to be disappointed because that wasn't the intent. So the goal, the hope, is that the intent is everything when we look at it, and the point is the source, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says this, Study to show yourself approved unto God, believers, who are not ashamed. And so that's what we're talking about today, is how can we study, how can we dig in and show ourselves approved? How can we, how can we be proud and how can we be confident in that which we are sharing when we're out there trying to sell that bridge? How can we be confident in what we're talking about? So that's what we're, gonna get, what we're going to dig into. I'm going to read to you a bunch of things I stumbled upon this week. This actually comes from the NIVBible.com. I claim no credit for it, but it was such good information, I just copy and pasted it right into my message and said, we're going to go over this, because this talks about those original manuscripts. This talks about uh, the different, the, the Old Testament, the New Testament, Paul's letters, all of it, and how it can be trusted, okay? So stay with me. Let's dig into this. The Hebrew canon, that's what the Old Testament was called, or it could be called the Jewish Bible. That's a really accurate name for the Old Testament. Imagine sitting in a synagogue in the first century, and over in the corner, the rabbi has a collection of scrolls. He probably doesn't have all the scrolls that will eventually make up the Old Testament, but he has quite a few. And as a library of holy books, they're not organized in any particular order. It isn't until the scrolls are bound together into books that a le legitimate sequence will be decided on. 
There was no definitive Hebrew canon in the first century, but that doesn't mean that there was no consensus on what was and wasn't considered authoritative. By the time Jesus was born, Scripture was basically broken into three sections, the law, the prophets, and the writings. And if you read the New Testament, you'll hear Jesus talk about the law and the prophets. Okay, so that's where that name comes from as a common vernacular or word phrase for the Old Testament. While there was some question about which writings were authentic, the books that were considered authoritative weren't much different than the ones that we have now. This is amazing. Of the 39 Old Testament books, most are directly quoted as scripture by New Testament authors, and even when Old Testament books aren't directly cited, there are often allusions to them. For instance, no one quotes Jonah, but Jesus does mention him in Matthew 12, verses 40, verse 40. And while Judges is never directly cited, the book of Hebrews mentions many of the judges by name. This means that readers of the Gospels and Epistles would have had an implicit understanding of an official Hebrew canon, even though it hadn't been concretely established yet. The Hebrew canon wouldn't be distinctly established until late in the first century. In the end, the authoritative Hebrew canon, or Old Testament, or Jewish Bible, would be comprised of 24 books, the same ones that are recognized by Protestants today. Now, you might be wondering, wait a minute, I thought there was 39 books in the Old Testament. You might not be wondering that, but you should be, and if you knew your Bible, you'd be wondering that, okay? Here is why. Because we have broken it up into 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, but they just recognize it as Samuel, Kings. Ezra and Nehemiah used to be one book, and we split it into two. So you do the math, and you start doing, breaking everything up, and you get to 39, okay? So that is why we have the same text, the same number of books. We just later on divided them into, we split them. All right, let's move to the New Testament canon, the New Testament scriptures. In the beginning of the church, the gospel message was shared orally. People who had followed Jesus, witnessed his miracles, and experienced his death and resurrection, went to various towns and shared these events. That is huge. Because what they did, they, weren't, they didn't remember, they didn't have a Bible till 400 AD. They leveraged the events that they witnessed with their own eyes. That's the stories that they told. They were retelling these stories and these teachings of Jesus. Obviously, during this time, the teachings of Jesus' apostles were given considerable weight since they were the men who spent so many years learning at his feet. Can we trust oral tradition, because that's what they were doing, was oral tradition, oral sharing, sharing it verbally with their words. That's all that they had. While it's popular for skeptics to call into question the trustworthiness of oral tradition that undergirded the books of the Bible, there are reasons why we can have confidence in the reliability of oral teachings. One of the most prominent criticisms of the early church's oral transmission of the gospel is that there's too much information to pass on accurately. But experts in oral tradition have discovered many lengthy oral epics from Central Asia and Africa that have remained remarkably static and consistent over time. And no one's questioning those. When we look at the Gospels in light of the orally dominant world from which they came, we recognize many reliable hallmarks of the oral tradition. In general, it is incredibly consistent when it comes to message and content, despite minor differences in order of events and wordings. And again, Pastor Nicole 
talked about that last week when she shared some of the discrepancies you might find would be like saying somebody might have recorded it as XYZ event. John Christ happened in Erie. John Christ happened in Pennsylvania. Both are true. It's just a different way to describe the events that took place yesterday. And there's some of that in the Bible. It would be wrong to assume that people in the early church who communicated the Gospels via oral tradition were not interested in accuracy. The apostles were very concerned that people understood the origin and importance of the stories they were hearing. And here is a citation from the Word to prove that. 2 Peter 1, 16-18 For we did not follow clearly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Here's the key. The apostles were not risking their lives for myths and fables. And they weren't doing it all over the place in such a consistent manner that we have books that line up with each other, okay? Now, the gospel was recorded. It was written down. As the church continued to grow, some factors made writing down the gospel story inevitable. Thank you, Jesus, okay? Otherwise, it's not sitting in your hands right now. More and more Christians were seeking to fulfill their responsibility to take the gospel into Rome and Asia Minor to maintain the purity of the narrative, especially in light of the apostles' advancing age and mortality, it became essential to write the gospel down. In the end, we didn't just end up with one gospel. We ended up with four distinct versions that would be recognized as Scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these books communicate the gospel story in a way that gives us a more complete view of Christ. Okay? And lastly, my favorite part, of all of this, the writing of the epistles. If you know anything about the book of Acts and Saul's conversion to Paul, the apostle Paul who wrote half of the New Testament, he wasn't an eyewitness to the accounts of Jesus Christ. He didn't see with his own eyes many of the things that the disciples did and that they then leveraged those events, shared those events to leverage the gospel. So as these gospels were recorded, Paul's influence was growing in the early church. His conversion from church persecutor to Christian convert was dramatic, but it still required input from the apostles. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul discussed his first trip to Jerusalem to stay with Peter. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas. We have a drummer named Cephas. Did you know that? I just thought I'd point that out. Um, I actually, I have a buddy at my last church who calls me Cephas, and when I told him my drummer had the last name Cephas, he was like, this is from God. So anyways, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. That's from Galatians 1, 18 and 19. He then discussed his second trip to meet with the apostles. This is crazy. After 14 years... I went again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those, esteemed, with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Galatians 2.2. Paul submitted himself to the authority of the apostles, to the ones who saw it with their own eyes, to the eyewitnesses, because he wanted to make sure that he was running his race 
for victory, that he was advancing the true and only gospel. The stamp of approval made Paul an apostle to the Gentiles and fast-tracked the church's acceptance of Paul's authority, which is why we can trust when half of the New Testament was written by a guy who didn't have the eyewitness account, but he was vetted and backed by those who did. Okay? When he began writing his letters to the churches he was overseeing, they were immediately accepted as authoritative. Early into the second century, churches were copying and distributing his letters among themselves, along with the Gospels of the Apostles. That's the end of everything I got from NIVBible.com. The rest is mine, okay? Uh, but thanks for, for listening in on that, and hopefully that brings some clarity to the different portions of Scripture. Here is your takeaway today. And the Apostle Paul did, did this, okay? That is what going somewhere and then returning 14 years later to get vetted, that is what doing, that he lived this takeaway. Here, here's what it is. I stumbled upon this. I wrote this in my Bible long before I knew I was going to be preaching this message. Maybe a year ago. I really don't remember but in, let me get the reference right. In 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 16, I wrote inside of my Bible, what is true is what we are to believe. That's your takeaway. What is true is what we are to believe. It's not the sincerity of our belief, but the truth we build upon that matters. Okay? If I'm driving across that bridge and the truth is, it's going to collapse into the water, but I believe with tons of sincerity, I'm going to get to my favorite vacation spot. What's going to happen? Remember, I believe a lot, a lot, okay? Of course you know the answer. It's the truth we build upon that matters, and that is the takeaway. And that's why you see in 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16, Paul says this, Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you with these instructions so that if I am delayed you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. And here we are in verse 16, leveraging the events that the disciples saw. He appeared in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the nations. He was believed on in the world and was then taken up to glory. Okay, that is what we build on. We build on the truth. Paul cared about the truth. If you look at Paul's letters, I would say that he did not have a one sermon reaches all type approach. Okay, he was very much, I would say he was nimble. A few, uh, probably two months ago now, Pastor Don preached a message called I Know Where You Live, and he talked about Acts 17. And in Acts 17, Paul is talking to a group of Greeks, and he doesn't mention the Old Testament. Because they don't care. I'm, I'm sorry, but they just didn't. They were Greek. They didn't care about the Jewish Bible. It didn't make any difference to them. He leveraged God, who Jesus, who was crucified and who was the source of all of our life. But then you can read on, and Paul talks in Philippians 3 about his Jewish upbringing, about his zeal for the law and for persecuting the church, his time as a Pharisee. Paul knew what we need to take note of today. We cannot be hitting people over the head with a 66 book of the Bible, 66 book Bible, and assuming that they're going to have the same perspective as we do. Pastor Nicole asked me, what are you going to write on the whiteboard? I'm going to write the same thing she did last week. 48% of Americans today identify as post-Christian. 
which means they might have some exposure to the Bible, but they don't necessarily value it the same way you do, or they don't necessarily understand it the same way you do. We need to be nimble. We need to be, uh, we can't have a one sermon reaches all type evangelism. Someone once said, I tried to figure out who it was, I couldn't, uh, not competently enough that I was going to say it, so this is how this works. You say, someone once said, and then you say it again a second time, and then the third time you say, I've always said, and then it's your quote, okay? So this is my first time. Um, But this is the quote, it says, treat another man's faith gently, it's all he has to believe with. If you know who it is, don't tell me, you're going to ruin my plan, okay? I'm two times away from owning that quote. Treat another man's faith gently, it's all he has to believe with. Do you realize someone did that for you? Do you realize someone was gentle with you? Someone was patient with you? Someone was persistent with you? And that resulted in a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and that resulted in your redeemed life. This is why we must educate ourselves on the truth of the Bible, but we cannot forsake relationship in the process. We need to know the word. We need to be able to defend it. It needs to be our faith. God doesn't have grandkids. God has kids, right? But we also need to realize the spirit of gentleness and the spirit of of relationship. Let's talk about the bridge again. Maybe you know everything you need to know to drive across that bridge with confidence. Okay, maybe the person in front of you or behind you or sitting next to you today, maybe this is their first time going across that bridge and they're doing it based on watching you because they don't have the confidence. They haven't done the research. They don't know. But you are their example. You are their light. So here's what I would say. Obviously, I'm biased. I'm the small groups pastor here. But join a small group. But be, be gentle with each other. Yes, it's iron sharpens iron, but it's also just do life together. Just help people understand more. It's a process. It's a journey. Paul tells us in Ephesians 3, verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all of the Lord's people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Love over knowledge. That's the thing. Knowledge is great. Let's load up on it. Let's understand how the bridge works. Let's understand all these things. We talked about the Hebrew canon and the New Testament and all all of that. But relationship and love is the difference maker. Let me close this morning by telling you a story. Okay? I have a friend. He grew up in a Christian home. His parents sent him to a Christian school. He attended some awesome youth groups. He had great friends. And he thought he loved Jesus but he wasn't sure why he loved Jesus. It was kind of just the environment he was growing up in. So it was that whole grandkids versus kids thing. He didn't really, it wasn't his faith yet. It was just kind of this borrowed faith, this uh, osmosis immersion faith, all right? 
nothing wrong with the education he received, nothing wrong with the youth groups he went to, awesome, awesome people, but the majority of his faith was presented to him like this. Hey man, we believe because the Bible says we should believe. And that was it. And so it didn't give him a tangible faith. It didn't give him enough of a reason. He turned 16, 17, 18 years old, started trying to see what life was about on his own, started a rock and roll band, went to some parties, did the things that people do. 17, 18-year-olds trying to figure out life can do. It wasn't long before his borrowed faith really started to diminish and he found himself confused. You see, the Christian faith was presented more as it's right because it says it's right, not it's right because it will change your life before you ever even live your life. But listen to me this morning. The event that is the gospel changes everything. The event. The gospel, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, rescues us from a terrible, awful, lonely life we were destined for without Jesus Christ intervening. And I'm not saying no one ever shared that with my friend. I'm just saying it was diluted by the constant, you should believe because it says you should believe. What more do you need? We would not stand for that from other religions, and we can't stand for it for ourselves. We need to do better than that. Matthew 28, Jesus says, go and make disciples. He doesn't say go and make followers. He doesn't say go and make clones, copycats, but he says disciples. Disciples are intentional followers that desire life change and the spreading of life change to those around them. I'm going to say that again. Disciples are intentional followers that desire life change and the spreading of life change to those around them. So anyways, by God's grace, my friend intersected in life with some great business people. And because what he, because he wanted what they had financially and successfully, he ended up finding, Jesus ended up finding him again because these people were not just great business people, but they had Jesus in their life. And so in chasing them and in pursuing them, God found him for a second time because he realized that their identity and their success came from more than just money, but it came from who Christ was and how he was working inside them. All right, so if you've ever listened to anybody talk for 45 minutes, four to five minutes about their friend, you know I'm my friend. And that's my story. I had a great upbringing. I have awesome parents. I went to a great school, had awesome youth group, youth pastor, all that. But faith was always presented to me as you should believe because you should believe. You should believe because it says it's true. What more do you need? And it wasn't until I got out on my own I got out of the grandkid side of faith and I made it my personal tangible faith that I realized what he had done for me, what he wanted to do for me, what he has done for you, what he wants to do for you. And so that's my encouragement to you this morning. As I said earlier, this book as we have it today didn't exist until almost 400 years after Jesus Christ died on the cross. But the faith grew anyways because the church was testifying to the events that changed their life. That's what we need to do. I can tell you what this book says. I can also tell you what God did in my life. I can leverage those events. I can tell you about the the things he saved me from. And you can do that too. Know this book for sure. Know that it can be trusted. Do your homework. But leverage the events of life change that you've experienced in your own personal life. Because both work. The the power of our testimony moves people to Christ. As I close, we're going to sing that song 
defender, and we're going to start it at the bridge. It says, when I thought I lost me, you knew where I left me. Do you feel lost this morning? Do you feel like maybe you need a reminder? Do you realize that you're not lost? He, knew where you, he knows where you've been this whole time. This letter, this Bible that we hold in our hands, that we have on our smartphones, it's a faith booster. It is fuel for a fire that doesn't keep going without fuel being added to it. That's the whole reason he gave it to us. That's the whole reason it went from oral transmission to written documents, because he knew we were going to need it. So as we close today, I just want to encourage you to do this. I want to challenge you to think about the events that God has done in your own personal life. I want you to think about the events that you've read about in this word. And maybe you're in here today and this is your first time hearing some of this and you're like, what are you talking about? We talked this morning about we have this altar team set up and we're gonna sing the bridge in the chorus of this song and we're gonna to lean into the fact that he is the defender of our heart. If you wanna come forward, we have pastors down here. We'll have our friends off to the side. We wanna pray with you. We wanna encourage you. But if you don't come forward, I still want you to take just a couple minutes as we close today and really think about the things God has done in your life, the events that have got you to where you are today, the fact that you are breathing air in this room, hearing his word being projected. These are all miracles that you can leverage to advance the gospel to those around you because we want intentional followers. Disciples are intentional followers who have life change and desire to see life change all around them. So let me pray, would you please stand? And God, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to worship you. I thank you for the opportunity to, to have a book in our hands that's a love letter written from you with stories and events that we can lean into and that we can leverage. But God, we also have those same things in our lives. And so I thank you for that. Would you speak to us through this song? Would you encourage us? Would you help us to know you more and know your word more? Amen. Let's sing.
we just come before you and we thank you that you are the defender of every heart in this room. You are the defender of the hearts of our family that's not in this room, of our friends, of those that we surround ourselves with. And you have said that you've given us the power to reach them through the sharing of our testimony, through, through pointing people to you and what you've done on the cross. So I pray for a supernatural level of strength and empowerment in this room as we go today, that you'd give us a courage. We don't know where it came from. We're just doing our job on Tuesday this week and you have us saying things we weren't planning on saying. And you have us reaching to people we didn't even know we were gonna be reaching to. And so I just thank you for everyone in this church. I thank you for what you're doing here at Erie First. I thank you for the, the strength and the power of your word and that it can be trusted. And may we leave here today knowing you more, trusting you more, and building upon what is true, not just what we sincerely believe, but what you have shown us is true. Amen. Amen. Uh, we'll be up here for prayer if you, if you do need any, but have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.